White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill, at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. Our show is at Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. Go there right now and subscribe. Maybe hit the notifications bell so you know exactly when we drop our new video. And if you want to, send us an email. It's LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. But we have a new voicemail. It is 312-566-8727. And to tell you how you're going to remember that forever, it's Chris Tannehill. It's so easy here to remember that voicemail number. You know, who wants to memorize numbers? All you got to do is memorize the jersey numbers. Just think Baines, AJ, Burley, Orta, Bo, Fisk, TA. That's all you got to do. It's so easy. It's so much easier than memorizing 312-566-8727. Like, why would you even try to do that or program it to your phone? Like, you know, you get to picture that in your mind. Uh, but it is episode 186 today on Locked on White Sox, and we're beginning our crossover Wednesday, or this is going to lead to crossover Wednesday and Thursday, uh, because we got a lot of great intel on the Cleveland Indians, the division rival. They're going to have a lot to say in terms of who wins this AL Central race here, and we're going to talk with, from Locked On Indians, their host, Jeff Ellis, on the show today. So we're going to touch on a lot of things here about the Indians. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about their rotation, why they're so good, why maybe the, the we're overlooking their offense a little bit. We'll talk about Sandy Alomar and you know how he possibly fell out of favor in Cleveland, and he was one of my top picks to be the next Sox manager. So we'll get into a lot of this stuff, and Jeff's really smart, and he'll talk about the Indians' fan base take their temperature and also their ownership and how they sort of let uh, their fan base down over the years. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Jeff Ellis from Locked On Indians. Jeff, I want to ask you firstly, you know, I sometimes dismiss in this Locked On White Sox uh, podcast that the Cleveland Indians are still a contender for this AL Central. I pretty much have resigned myself to the Sox versus the Twins, but Chris Tannehill, our my co-host, continues to say, hey, man, those Indians, man, you know they're going to be there. Tell us why the Cleveland team is just going to be competing with the White Sox and the Twins this year. You know, there's a lot of reasons why. Like, the Indians are paper thin. Let's be honest there. They are a team that uh, it can very easily fall off the rails very quickly. But when you have the pitching staff they have, and when the Twins have the pitching staff they have, I think it always leaves the door open for the Indians. I mean, I think talking to anyone, it's we all agree the White Sox are the team to beat. Uh, while they have not won the division yet, I, I haven't talked to any of the hosts who think that, uh, that anyone else is the favorite. But when it gets down to it for the Indians versus the Twins in terms of competition, the Indians lineup is actually better 
right now than it was last year. And people might be surprised to hear me say that. And, you know, Lindor was a great player, but the last two years were not his strongest two years. Uh, he was not the Indians' best player. I, I said repeatedly, he was the Indians' third best player. And when you go out and add an Eddie Rosario to this team, the, the outfield, we, we throw around the word historically bad uh, in sports often. The Indians' outfield last year was honestly historically bad. Uh, runs created plus of 54. Oscar Mercado had, I had never seen this before, a negative 11 runs created. I didn't know runs created could go to the <laughs> negative values. So when you're looking at this team, when you add in a full season of Naylor, uh, I mean, I love Carlos Santana to death. He might be my favorite Indian in the last 20 years, but age was catching up to him. Uh, you had Rosario. And then honestly, I think with this team, by mid-season, by August, I, I'm a big Nolan Jones believer. I spent a lot of time in and around the minors with the Indians. I've seen him coming up to the system. Uh, I, I do think this is the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> They're going to have either the lowest or the second lowest payroll this year. Guys like Andres Jimenez are likely to start the year in the minors. But when you get Jones and Jimenez in this lineup, it's going to be a team that the the lineup is better than a year ago. The pitching, I am nervous like they have players, but I mean, someone like Plesak was a, such a small sample a year ago. Uh, I totally believe in Bieber, but they just have the depth that I think is still uh, the envy of many teams that they have so many players who can just kind of step right up and in. You know, you mentioned Lindor, and we think when people think of the Cleveland Indians and, and what the franchise has gone through the past, you know, couple years, and I, I go back to that All Star Game in 2019, where Lindor is like the face of it all, and you know, he's Mister Cleveland, and then you know, things you know go awry from that point. But you know, you you talk about this team every day on Locked On Indians, and certainly interact with with the fan base. Like, what's the temperature? of the Indians fan base now after this Lindor trade, like overall optimistic. Do they see it? Obviously I think they saw it coming because we've talked about this for a couple of years on our show about what they're going to do with Lindor. But now that it's done, do you feel like, okay, like, you know, maybe the fan base is they can turn the page and just forget about it. Or is this one going to sting a little bit uh, with Lindor being in the major market now and maybe it'd be more, even more on a national stage than he was before. When it comes to Francisco Lindor, I want to use the full name, uh, Indians fans are prickly. Um, he was was the face for uh, such a, a point in time. A lot of fans, I think, got annoyed that he never was willing to talk extension. Or, you know, he would talk about it, but they never got numbers or, or any of that information. And while the trade wasn't, I, I'm still not the biggest fan of that trade. I also understand that. It happened under the worst conditions. Like you can't get the trade value you got uh, from Mookie Betts when everyone is trying to conserve salary. I, I do think the situation with the economics of baseball affected that trade. But then when he went there, um, some of the comments that he made about not being in the best of shape uh, last year and fading towards the end of the season uh, just annoyed a lot of fans. He did have a fade through last year and then was pretty awful in the postseason so it was actually weirdly um a vocal i don't know i would argue upwards of 30 percent who were looking forward to him being gone as odd as that is to say that people just thought that he had kind of peaked and they were ready to move on from the drama being a cleveland fan uh 
dealing with the drama of impending free agency. I think after all those years with LeBron, we, we just get tired of it very quickly now. And like I said, I think he's irreplaceable. I think he's on a Hall of Fame traje- trajectory, if I can say the word correctly there. Uh, I'm not one of those people. Uh, I do understand why the trade happened. I wish it didn't have to. Uh, he'll, he will be missed. But at the same time, looking at that team, I do think Jimenez can be at least league average. And if you use that money, which they did to go out, and I mentioned Eddie Rosario again, if he is that like 110 WRC, a slightly above average bat, it's going to, by going from what Lindor was to where they're going to project, I think the baseline for the team, a lot of people, I think they're more upset, not so much about the loss of Lindor, but the cutting of salary and the dramatic cutting of salary, um, along with just the fact that it feels like every three weeks is another negative news story. What I always think about when I think about Cleveland baseball is that they can draft, develop, cultivate, and get these major league players up and their stars. The only thing I always see is those stars, when it's time to get paid, go somewhere else. Why is, and these were in the 90s where they were selling out the Jake all the time and had money. Nowadays, I can understand Cleveland small middle market and doesn't have the money to pay the big time stars. What does the Cleveland Indian fan feel about their ownership and how they can they can do this all the time? Like they just traded a lot of players, even though they didn't draft uh, Clevenger or Bauer, they traded those guys away. And I don't think they got a lot for them. So why does this always happen with Cleveland? Uh, I think at least the perception is that they can draft him. They can get him to the majors, but once it's time to get paid, it's adios. I think yeah, one of the things I've talked about with all of these trades is the, the front office is they look at things differently. Like I specifically like the Clevenger deal. I had a lot of people being like, why didn't they go for, um, I'm probably going to butcher the name, uh, Campisano from San Diego. I'm like, cause he's not their dude. Like they're never going to take a catcher who isn't defense plus. And they look at things very differently. And the reason I think ownership gets a little bit more uh, support than they would in a lot of other places is because these trades keep working. They keep winning these trades somehow. They keep getting multiple, you know, Clevenger was because they traded a washed up Benny Pistano. Benny Pistano had been great, but he was clearly a dead arm at that point. And that's how they brought him in. Trevor Bauer was one year of Shin Chu Chu. And they got Bauer, Matt Albers, and Brian Shaw in that deal. And all three of those players were big first year. And then Shaw was, I mean, he's back now because how much Tito uh, loves him. Ownership in and of itself, it's not a happy situation. I think it is a bit toxic. I apologize for my cats going insane in the background. I'll just take a second as I'm speaking, if anyone's hearing that. But uh, it's gotten toxic. You know, two years ago when you have your owner saying, uh, enjoy him when they're asking about Frankie Lindor, or last year when you talked about like, you know, the best fans buy luxury boxes. Like that's just, it's Cleveland. It's a blue collar town. Did like, they say that like, really? The best fans yeah. buy luxury boxes? It, it was very close to <laughs> oh, that. My like God. the real fans buy luxury boxes. It was, <laughs> oh, it, yeah, it was that bad. That was last off season. And that was, I've been a big supporter because when you look at Cleveland ownership uh, in general, uh, Gilbert has been, you know, he won, but it was, it's been embarrassing. Some of the things he's done. And the Haslams have also had a lot of embarrassments and failures. And the nicest thing about the Dolans is they just get out of the way. Uh, The problem now is specifically, if you're a fan of the Indians, since uh, John Sherman sold his minority 
stake, that is when salary has gone down, down, down. We don't know how much that stake was. Uh, estimates are up to 30% of the team with the chance that he would end up buying it before he became the Royals owner. That was the team he wanted uh, as a fan of. But uh, that was a major loss. And it's just shown every year. as that pay- And now, like I said, it's not just that it is down. This is a team that's been first or second every year since 2013, I want to say. It's not like it's been a uh, a weak run. They've had a chance to to be successful in there and the TV numbers. And that's probably the other problem. Honestly, it's like the TV contract's terrible. It's terrible because the ownerships sold a bad deal. But whenever anyone talks about this terrible TV contract, it leaves out the fact that the, the overall money per year isn't high, but they also got like 50 mil, like a $50 million signing bonus equivalency, which never gets added in to, to the, you know, the overall cost. So it's it is frustrating. Um, there's it, like I said, the best thing about Dolan is he just gets out of the way and he doesn't interfere. Uh, Cleveland has two owners that very much interfere, and you quickly see the value in that. But yeah, it sinking. You can't have a team that's been this good, had this much talent, and then open the season with a bottom three payroll. It just it's embarrassing. I think honestly. So you know why not? take it even further if you're Cleveland ownership like a guy we talked about a lot on our show on Locked On White Sox is Jose Ramirez they've got him until through 2023 and the salary only projected to go upwards you know and perennial MVP candidate White Sox killer Herb and I talked about like you know if, if you're a GM and on any team that's competitive like you're calling Cleveland about Jose Ramirez right now what do you think their plan is long term for him do you think he's gone by the end of the year or are they going to kind of maybe line up you know his tenure with the rest of Shane Bieber's a little bit and try to maximize what they have his contract is so team friendly um I got a lot of angry Braves fans when I pointed out kind of the the fallacy of a lot of those trades that were popping up because at a very basic level, uh, Austin Riley is like Nolan Jones, but with two bad years of production in the majors or below average production. Uh, so I wasn't as big there, but with, with Jose Ramirez, like they still think they can contend and the Indians whole thing is you just you have to make the playoffs and anything can happen. Their best season was the year that like three fifths of the rotation got hurt in August and they didn't have when they went to game seven. So they're just trying to make it in and they think they have enough to get in at least as a wild card. I think Jose Ramirez, and I've talked about this on the show when they made that trade for with Clevenger, the centerpiece of that deal was, was Gabriel Arias, the shortstop. I am a hundred percent convinced everyone else talked about Naylor or Quanchal. Those were secondary pieces. The big piece was was Arias. He fits a lot of what they do to a T. I think he's the heir apparent at either short or third. And Jose Ramirez is not this trade deadline, but next trade deadline is 18 months out from his contract being up. So I think that's really when you're going to look at it. So 18 months from now, or about then, I think he'll be ticketed out. But he's going to be here through then because he is an MVP. He is a cornerstone And while Nolan Jones could replace him at third and people bring that up, Nolan Jones is going to start half this year in the minors and he is far from proven uh, safe or anything of that. So he's here. He's going to stick around. The Indians do think they can contend for a wild card with what they have. So about 18 more months of him killing the White Sox and then (laughs) they'll see what the best offer is. 
Coming up after a short timeout, we'll talk about a guy in Brad Hand who the White Sox hitters love to face. He's no longer there in Cleveland. So who steps up to take that closer role for the Tribe? We'll find out after this on Locked on White Sox. Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. We've been telling you guys about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. And I just ordered my latest order last weekend. I'm hoping it arrives here by Wednesday because I start to get the cravings for sugar again and I'm trying to get rid of those, but Built Bar helps when I have them. I ordered 24 Built Bars. I ordered four packs of six, my old fail-safe coconut, and I'm trying out two new flavors to me, cookies and cream and mint brownie. And also I ordered German chocolate cake. That's one of my favorite things in the world and they managed to replicate the taste of that just enough to keep me satisfied from my sweet cravings. And so far it's working pretty well for me. I'm down a few pounds and I have Built Bar to thank for that for substituting what I would normally have cookies or cake or candy. I switched those out for Built Bar after dinner at night and sometimes in the afternoon at work and boom, uh, the, the cravings are almost gone and now I just like Built Bars because they're delicious and they keep me full. So go to BuiltBar.com or follow them on Twitter at Built underscore Bar and they've got Built Bar Madness going on. You can vote for your favorite flavors and you can use our promo code LOCKDOWN20. Got a new promo code. It's different than the last one. Locked on 20 to get 20% off your next order. That's locked on 20 for 20% off your next order at builtbar.com. And check back with us to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. We're covering everything you need to know about the White Sox, but what about the rest of sports? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Follow Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. After a lot of deals, and uh, I used to live in San Diego for a little uh, for a little bit, and so I saw the Brad Hand deal happen uh, a while. Is out there, so he is gone now as the closer for the Indians. And White Sox fans are sad about that because they used to get to Brad Hand a little bit because he's just lefty. Who is going to be the replacement there? I would think just knowing how he pitched last year and. How the funky stuff works, it would be James Karinchek, but is that true? I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I've been around since Karinchek was in the minors. He is incredibly, incredibly idiosyncratic. Um, this was a guy who, when he was in double A, would have like a bad appearance if he didn't get his full set number of pitches, like an exact number he had. Um, I am very concerned about the last time he pitched was that terrible postseason. Like I could see that sticking with him. Uh, very talented, great stuff. There is some mental tug of war, not to say that not calling him. A lot of great pitchers are very specific in their thoughts. You know, they have a routine that they have to do. He just has that to more of the extreme than I've seen with some other guys that I've had the uh, time to hear about in the minors. And again, he's fantastic. And I think the other point to go with that, on top of some of the concerns with the, the uh, he is not, I, again, I don't want anyone to interpret this as some kind of like weakness. I don't, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that he has, he's one of those guys who's very specific in how he goes about things. So I think that kind of makes, would make the Indians a little bit leery. And then the bigger thing, honestly, on top of that is closers get more expensive in arbitration. I don't think, I think they're going to put, either Maiton or, or Whitgren back there because Class A and Karen Chalk have the best stuff. 
and that'll keep their cost down. And they'll just keep those players in more of a seventh and eighth inning role in a high leverage situation until we have a better way of like interpreting what high leverage means as a stat. Uh, those players will be underpaid relative to the value to a team. So I think he is likely going to be the exact same thing he was a year ago. And then you'll have a, you know, Whitgren or, or, or Maiden in that role as a closer. I'm not excited about either of those. I mean, they're solid pen arms, but it's, it's going to be interesting just with that pen in general. Like as Indians fans, I think we all know, even though Brian Shaw hasn't been good since he left Cleveland three years ago, he's going to make this team. Uh, Oliver Perez is a thousand, a, a thousand. He's going to make this team. Like they are, uh, they're going to be this weird mix of these just young guys who throw really hard, and then uh, some of the oldest pitchers in baseball. One of the guys, you know, the young guys that throw hard and a guy that's projected to be in the rotation. And White Sox fans, if you were paying attention, you saw him for a little bit in a couple of outings against the Sox is Tristan McKenzie. And I really enjoyed watching him when, when Tito would throw him out there, especially at the end of the year. Stuff looked really good. How do you project him, uh, his role to be in 2021 for the Indians? Like, is he going to be on an innings limit since he is young? Or do you think like they're going to let him go from day one and be in that rotation and be uh, another guy where White Sox fans are like, where did they get this guy from? He's another guy with nasty stuff that pounds the strike zone. Like, What, what do you think his year is going to look like? He's just a, an interesting guy. I was always a little bit lower on him because he's a unicorn. Like I, I remember going through like baseball reference uh, back when I had like the pain, the extra for the finder. And there was nobody with his height to weight ratio. <laughs> like I sent out a tweet that the only player that popped up was uh, Jason Smith, who used to pitch with like the pirates. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> Jason Smith, much like, heavier, right? He did get much heavier, but he responded to that tweet. Like that's what I was in high school. I'm like, I didn't tag him in it or anything. He just found it on his own that I was referencing him. I was like, I didn't mean as an insult dude. I was just saying it's the only person I could find. And he goes, that was what I was when I was drafted. I was much heavier when I got to the big leagues. Uh, so, and I have sat with him and a lot of these players like Bieber and McKenzie, I got to sit with them in the double A press box while they're sitting there charting, pitching, pick their brains a little. There would always be maybe three to four of us up there. So it was a small group and it, it was very informational for that. But maybe the most informational was seeing what Tristan McKenzie was trying to eat to add weight. And I, I swear, he just, he would eat like all these things that were high calorie and just be shoving his face. And I, I, he didn't even look like he was enjoying it. Just, it, I wish I had his metabolism, whatever it is. He is <laughs> just impossible to add weight. He's going to be on a severe innings limit, so much so that I doubt he'll start the year at the team. He mm. pitched 33 innings last year. He didn't pitch at all in 2019 due to injury. And in 2018, he didn't pitch until june he missed like the first month and a half because of a back injury so the last two seasons uh very limited due to injury so like especially then too uh, as much as it is concerned with injury if he starts in triple a it's also service time manipulation and i know triple a won't be there at the start of the year i'm sure someone's saying that but he can still work at the alternate site and it will still keep the service time low plus like i said i i can't see him going from zero innings 33 innings the max this year probably has to be somewhere around 120, 130. So if you want, if you're hoping to contend, they're going to push that more to the second half of the season. So I'll be curious. You're going to see probably guys like Logan Allen and Scott Moss. Uh, they've been talking so much about Sam Henkes early uh, as well. I think you're going to see kind of a revolving door in the five spot at points this year. And the last thing I got for you about the Indians is that 
Last year, we saw a lot of Sandy Alomar at the uh, manager spot because Tito Francona was out uh, with uh, illness, uh, apparently. A lot of things around him right now, you know, the family problems he's having, um, the stuff about Mickey Calloway, and then his illness he had last year. How's uh, Terry Francona doing this season? Do you expect him to finish out the season? I think he finishes the season. I wouldn't be surprised if this is his last one. Um, at the same time, I don't think like Sandy Almar is the heir apparent. It, mm. it was not the best season by him. If you watched game in game out, just management and the way things went. And then after last season, he didn't get one interview and he hasn't gotten one interview like in the last two years, like it was three years since he got an interview. Uh, and that's weird to us. Yeah. Because believe it or not, he was like one of the top candidates that I had before the Sox hired La Russa in terms of a smart guy, bilingual, younger, like he was like not, he may have been number one at, at, at a certain point, depending on when we did the show, but he was top five for me easily. So this is like good insight. I'm wondering why he hasn't been looked at a little bit more for, for a managerial job. We speculated, oh, he's just waiting for Tito to retire or whatever. But is that not the case? I, I don't think it's the case. Like the bullpen in particular was, was kind of uh, a mess when it was you know, throughout the year uh, with him last year. And then, he it was almost at points like he didn't know he had a bench um that it would just be the same guys every day regardless of who was pitching i mean there were some you know jordan luplo was part of a platoon because he can't hit righties so he'd have that but we and then one of the big problems honestly with management over the past few years is just a complete total and utter refusal to play young players so we get to see mike freeman who's 30 odd something and is clearly a below average player but we still don't know what yu chen chang is even though this is a guy who hit 30 home runs close to, or maybe 25 home runs in Akron, which is a harder place to hit home runs in some major league parks. Uh, Daniel Johnson, who's this legitimate four tool guy, uh, maybe the toolsiest guy in the minors. He's 26 years of age. There's no point in manipulating the service time, but instead we got Delano DeShields and Domingo Santana out there. It's the opposite of the Sox. Like they're <laughs> refusing to play young players. Uh, and that was also part of the problem last year. I mean, Sandy's a great guy, and I think being bilingual is, a, you know, a great point you're, you mentioned. I think it's one of those things that gets overlooked. Uh, I think he's still he as a bench coach. And that's the other thing. Like he kind of got demoted. Like Terry went out and brought in a new bench coach this offseason as well. And I'm mm. trying to remember the the person that was. I talked about it on one show, and it's but it was someone who had been his bench coach uh, for a season previously. And so Sandy is now like third base coach. So he went from the manager last year all the way down to third base coach so yeah with everything going on with tito and his health i wouldn't end with the negative demarlo hale publicity demarlo yes. hale yeah yeah and with the negative press and um going on as well it's yeah, he loves baseball i don't know if he's ever going to be able to step away uh but if he's going to step away it seems like after this season though i have no idea what the indians will do because it is also odd as well because tito and Carl Willis are so old school, but this whole managerial staff is so advanced statistics. It's almost like they, it's an odd marriage. It's been successful, but it's, it's been an odd one all along. Last one for me. Uh, this is great insight here on the Indians. It, our sponsor bet online has the Indians slated at 81 and a half wins. You going over or under on that? And what can we expect from the Indians uh, in your mind this year? I'm going over. I, my, my guess has been 88, 89. There's still so many bad teams. Like, 
Kansas City isn't going to be good. Detroit isn't going to be good. Uh, again, that Twins pitching staff is is pretty rough. I, I don't, not to say that they're going to be like a below 500 team, but I, they're a team in my mind that very clearly has some issues as well. Uh, the, the White Sox are the one team that seem to have like pitching and hitting. With the Twins, you have the the hitting, and then that pitching staff falls off pretty quickly. And they lost some important parts of that pen too. So that's that's kind of my concern there. With the Indians, they have the pitching, and the hitting is going to always be an issue. It's improved, but it's still not great. Uh, it's essentially like having a five-hitter lineup, but then the bottom, maybe you get lucky. It, it's it's kind of any projection I've done. It's like, okay, once you get past the five-hole, it's it's a hope and a prayer for anything approaching league average. So I think they have that chance. They're going to pick off bad teams. When you have good pitching, you can always pick off some of those bad teams. And there's so many horrible teams in the AL. I mean, I mentioned the central, but it's the, the Rangers, the Orioles, uh, Boston. I think we're going to see, it's going to be like a haves or have nots. And it feels like you're going to have those good teams and you're just going to have awful, awful squads for other teams to pick off and win games. And honestly, that's what the, like going back to 2019, yeah, 2019, when they finished second, they were able to challenge the Twins, not because they're beating good teams, but because they went like 25 and three against the Tigers and then beat the bottom team. Like they, they always beat up those really bad teams and then they struggle against uh, everyone else. We'll come back after a quick timeout and tell you what's coming up tomorrow on Locked On White Sox. Locked On White Sox is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football is over, but college hoops and the NHL and NBA are all in full swing, and BetOnline even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. The odds are updated in real time, and there's props on almost anything you can imagine. Herb, you know, we're going to do our, our preview show where we where we go over win totals and, and who's going to win divisions, pennants, and the World Series here uh, in baseball. But before we get to that show, like sort of what's keeping you uh, busy here uh, in the off season, so to speak, in terms of things that you're looking at at betonline.ag? Well, at betonline.ag, I'm seeing we just talked about the guy and we all talk about him all year long. His name is Lucas Giolito. And if you go to betonline.ag right now for Lucas, Lucas, <laughs> Lucas Giolito to get the Cy Young, it's plus 450. So that is you bet $100. You're going to win $450 if Lucas Giolito wins the Cy Young this year. He had the second most, uh, second best odds, even in front of the winner last year, Shane Bieber, who's at plus 500. The only guy with more, better odds right now is Garrett Cole at plus 425. So I think that's a good deal to put down $100 or so for Lucas Giolito to win the Cy Young. We know that he's great. And he takes the next step this year for a championship contending White Sox team. So that's what I'm looking at, Chris. Well, Bet Online's got you covered no matter what you're looking at. You got all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget our promo code locked on when you sign up for that welcome bonus. Fantasy Baseball Addicts, you now have a new resource to help give you an advantage in your leagues. 
Lockdown Fantasy Baseball is a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins, season-long fantasy, dynasty leagues, DFS, Lockdown Fantasy Baseball covers it all. Subscribe to Lockdown Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on with us from Lockdown Indians. Just very, very informative we talked a lot about the Indians, and I know you're out there. It's like, where's the White Sox stuff? We got something for you. Tomorrow's episode, Be Us with Jeff Ellis, and he gets to ask us questions about our beloved White Sox. So make sure you tune in for that. So for Chris Tannehill, follow him at Chris Tannehill on Twitter, me, Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23, and the show is at Locked on Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Go there subscribe and you might be a winner of a locked on socks t-shirt if you're listening i don't know if we're going to be posting this video necessarily but i am currently wearing the locked on socks t-shirt that chris Tannehill said to me because i'm a loyal listener yeah of locked on you look socks. handsome and i subscribe too you're handsome in that shirt like george raft i don't know who that is <laughs> um is that like a seinfeld reference? sopranos <laughs> ah so close i watched that twice damn it handsome like george raft oh <laughs> Oh, I'm a bad fan of that show. I'm sorry. Uh, you only have to watch it ten times to pick up on the references, like me. You know, you're no beef loaf. Oh yeah. Oh god. <laughs> you're no fan like beef loaf is. But yeah. So get yourself a handsome shirt. All you got to do is subscribe. We're gonna send out another one because we hit 300 recently. So we'll be sending out a random, very random prize pack very soon. So I, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode today. I, I that was really informative. I think in terms mm-hmm. of the Indians and. You know, the guy, Jeff knows his stuff, and, you know, they're, they're not to be taken lightly this year. And tomorrow, uh, he'll ask us about the Sox. So, you know, you may find some new stuff, and it's a, it's a good sort of recap of where we're at about the Sox at the, at the halfway point of spring training here. So that's all I got. So if you want to leave us a voicemail uh, or traditional email, let's start with that, LockedOnSox at gmail.com for our mailbag episodes. But... If you want to leave us a voicemail and you can get your beautiful voice heard on Locked on Socks, it is 312-566-8727. As Tanny told you earlier, that is Harold Baines, A.J. Brzezinski, Mark Burley, Jorge Orta, Bo Jackson, Carlton Fisk, and our own Tim Anderson. That's how you remember the number. It's so damn easy. I will make a song about it, but it's too easy. About It's too easy to remember. Just remember that number. 312-566-8727. So, for Chris Tannehill, I'm Herb Lawrence. Join us tomorrow where we talk more to Jeff Ellis from Locked On Indians on Locked On Socks.